0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. So good to um, to have you all here today. And again, I want to reiterate what Stephen and Chloe said to those who are here for the first time, watching for the first time, it, uh, it's, it's a super privilege to have you here with us. My name is Jono. And um, this series, Guilt Free, this is, uh, I'm, I don't pretend to be... An expert on this topic as in how to speak into this topic, but I certainly have experienced guilt in all its varied forms, whether from a religious perspective or not, and I'm sure we all have and uh i'm our hope and aspiration for these next few weeks is this is going to be super heartfelt because to to be frank uh my heart breaks over this issue uh amongst amongst other things but I've just seen people lose their joy in life because of the mishandling of guilt. i see people lose hope for the future uh, because of the mishandling of guilt. I've seen people have wrong ideas of what God is like because of the mishandling of guilt and not know what to do with it. And perhaps you're like that right now. Perhaps the reason you haven't maybe engaged with faith or come to church ever or maybe for a long time is because you haven't known what to do. Do with this feeling. Maybe you haven't labeled it as guilt, but it's been there and it's subtle and it's it's quiet, it can gnaw away at us. And I'm hoping over these next few weeks as we uncover the subtleties and the sinister edges of guilt that you're gonna be released from its clutches and its claws. And maybe for some of you, you have, have you've been under its shadow and you didn't even know, or you've been in the fog of guilt. And you haven't known, and you've been trying, as the song said, trying all these different ways to change how you feel or to re-engage. And little have you known guilt might have been the loudest voice in your ears. And I'm hoping we're gonna expose its lies and it's gonna help you. Whether you've been a follower of Jesus for decades, this thing can still get you. Whether you're figuring it out, hopefully this is gonna be super helpful for all of us. And you know, I see this manifest itself in so many ways. We see guilt come in many, many shapes and forms. And um, as, a, you know, as, a, as a pastor, I, see, I get a unique perspective of this because I often have people come and talk to me about what they're struggling with and wrestling with, even as the lyrics of that song just said. And and so often I go, where where, is, where have you got that thinking from? Or why do you feel this way? Who taught you that? Or who said this to you? And the subtle ways that guilt can, can sneak in and almost be a lens in which we view all of life. And something that happens, just to illustrate this, happens all the time. And, and this, it's by no means a big deal, this, this particular illustration, but it's just an easy illustration. Someone will come up to me on a Sunday, and I'll be oh, so good to see you. I haven't seen you, you know, for a while. Or they'll bring it up and go, oh. And I'll say this line, hey, I'm so sorry. I'm like, what for? And I'm like, I haven't, haven't been to church for ages, you know. I'm like, why are, you, why are you apologizing to me for? And often when they say that, there's this, like, I can hear the, the kind of tinge of guilt in their tone going, and, you know, maybe you feel guilty of even doing that, you know. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I haven't. And I'm, and I'm always like, why, why are you apologizing to me for this? Like, is there some quota of Sunday service attendance you have to meet? Like, and you haven't. And also, who wrote the quota? And is there a police officer? Like, where, you haven't. You know, where does this sense of guilt come from? And, 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 first and foremost, with that illustration, it's an easy one to figure out because, because you know, this whole idea of I haven't been to church. Well, church is not a place you go, right? And we've we've learned this again in a, a fresh way over the past season. You, you're part of a church. It's a community. It's the body of Christ, as the New Testament calls it. So it's not a service you attend or a building you attend. So, so sometimes this guilt comes from even wrong thinking. So let's just clear that up, right? There's no quota. And, you know, I often get emails from, from people saying, oh, well, you know, thanks for the online. If you're watching online, I haven't been able to attend. I'm like, that is fine. Like, if you attend, if you watch Sundays online forever, I'm not here to guilt you or to shame you. God certainly isn't. Like, where does this idea come from? Where have these thoughts come from? And, but then I often think, okay, well, what is that feeling you have? Because you, you feel a nudge, right? And sometimes that's what guilt is it's this little gnawing away you feel. And, and so when someone comes to me and goes, you know, oh, sorry, I haven't you know, been to church, what I'm usually suspicious of, that's not really the, the end, that's not what's going to solve your problem, is attending a church service more. What you're probably feeling is inside of you, there's this, there's this like little itch that says there's more, there's more to your faith. And there's more to what you're chasing right now, and that's probably the thing that's gnawing away. And maybe you feel like if I just attend, attend a service more, then it'll kind of be all right. Maybe that's not it. Maybe maybe it's the Holy Spirit inside of you. Maybe it's the Spirit of God going, hey, come on, there's, I've got more for your life. Like there's, there's a de- more, bigger depth for you. Maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what you can chase more than just trying to cover this feeling you have. So so the question I want to begin today with, and ultimately this series, is what are we supposed to do with our guilt? What do we do with our guilt? What do we do with it? And whether it's from a a, a religious perspective, you know, being a Jesus follower, whether this is, if you're not a Christian here, you experience guilt in so many different ways. And I'm telling you, our culture and and our world today is dripping with guilt. Guilt can often be the fuel which drives campaigns and programs and fundraisers. And people are guilted into giving and guilted into behavior and guilted into performing and guilted into being better. I mean, companies leverage this, governments leverage this, you know, stop breaking the rules, naughty, naughty, you know, whatever it might be. So, so guilt is everywhere. What are we supposed to do with our guilt? So to begin today, I want to kind of compare guilt, just for illustration purposes, with pain, with physical pain. Because we can all relate to that in one way, right? So, so pain in and of itself is not its own thing. Pain is, is like our body, it's, it's our physical body's way of speaking loudly to you that something is wrong with your body. Is that clear enough to follow? Pain is usually a signal going, something's wrong here, something's broken here, something's irritated here. Pay attention, fix it. Pain is not the goal in and of itself, right? There's no pain organ. I need to fix the pain organ. Ah, fix the organ, no more pain. Pain pain is the language that our body, and if you're a medical professional here, I know I'm oversimplifying this. Just roll with me, okay? Thank you for your grace. Don't guilt me into changing. But but like pain, right, guilt, guilt forces me to pay attention to the parts of my life that I often prefer to ignore or cover up. Guilt is like an early warning sign of danger. It's often the first clue that something's amiss or something is wrong. So the point is this, right? In the same way that pain acts as like a directional, like, hey, focus here, fix this, change this, right? There is a pathway for your guilt as well. The proper pathway for guilt is that it will end in our restoration, Okay, in the same way that the proper pathway for pain is that you attend to the injury. Can we have that slide up? We attend to the injury or attend to the, something that's broken, so you fix it and the pain is with. It's the same with, the same with guilt. It has a proper pathway, and the proper pathway, you're asking what to do with our guilt, is that it will end in your restoration. Not just that you you know, how can I get rid of the feeling of guilt? I've dealt with the guilt problem. no, no. no. It's guilt, it's like pain, points to where something is wrong and broken, and so guilt, the godly pathway, the proper pathway, is that you take the actions necessary that would lead to your healing or your fix or your restoration, okay? So, so the goal in both, whether it's pain or guilt, is to restore health, not to feel bad. I remember several years ago, uh, we were, um, I was down at the beach and um, walking through sand dunes, and had no shoes on. I stepped on something super sharp and it hurt and I was bleeding. I was like, oh, and I looked down and there was nothing there. I was like, oh, it just must have been something sharp. But a cart went really deep. And so I was in pain. Anyway, I was in pain all that day. The next day I was still in pain and I found <laughs> I found myself walking on my toe for about a week. So I was walking around, I don't know if anyone was around back then, but I was walking around like this for ages, just because it hurt so much. And I was like, Oh, so I would take Penadol and why was my foot still hurting? And Agents and, and eventually, dad, my dad was, up, any chance for dad to get like a scalpel, right? He was like, let me at it, let me at it. I'm like, keep away. I don't need more pain. And so anyway, after a week, and this was just getting out of hand, I was like, okay, I can't ignore, I can't, the problem isn't pain anymore. There's obviously, it's telling me something. So that's like, give me your foot. I was like, ah. Oh. So he gave me a tea towel. I'm like, what's the tea towel for? And he goes, you know. So I'm like, great. So I bite down on the tea towel. And so in he gets to the foot. Sorry, I'll stop there. But Sure enough, a thorn comes out about that long, and it'd be in my, in my foot, just digging up in there every time. I'm like, oh, man. So, so anyway, the thorn came out, and whoa, and behold, you know, no more pain, just emotional scarring. So <laughs> so the point is, in the same way, right, guilt, guilt is not a state that you're meant to cultivate. Guilt isn't simply a mood that you're supposed to slip into, into for a few days, and then after a few days, you know, you paid your guilt tax, and you're out. Guilt must have a directional movement, right? As we read before, it's got to lead somewhere, and the goal of it is to lead to our restoration. Okay, but like everything in our disordered world, guilt is subject to misuse. Misuse. And instead of guilt serving as a prod for us to deal with the problem, guilt can become the problem. And did you hear that, right? So guilt is there as a, a prod, as it's something to say, hey, there's, there's something here in your life worth addressing. And you know, you, you're causing pain, and you're, you, you're causing relationships to break up, and you're causing damage wherever you go, and the, the thing you feel, it's kind of going, hey, you've got to address this here. But if, if mishandled, if misused, if, if not pushed in its appropriate direction, guilt can go from just being something that is pointing you towards addressing a problem to become the problem itself. And guilt, and we all know this, you experience this, you don't need me to tell you this, you know this. Some of you might be feeling this right now. Guilt has been used and abused and manipulated in so many horrible ways. Parents, we, if we're not careful, we can lead with guilt, and we can try and parent using guilt, and try and manipulate our children behavior, behave, leading with guilt. Even those of you who are married here, lo and behold, they would ever try and guilt our spouse into doing something that we want them to do, but yet that's how guilt can often be used. We can shame people all the time. Guilt, it's a horrible leader, it's a terrible motivator. It's horrible, right? And let me explain some differences, maybe you'll see yourself in this. It, it's a difference between, say if you've ever wanted to go like, on a diet, okay? There's a huge difference if your motivator is you feel guilty because you eat bad or you feel guilty because you're comparing yourself next to someone else's, how they look or their diet. So you feel bad and like, okay, I just feel horrible every time I'm with this person, so I'm going to eat better, I'm going to exercise. Compared to, you've gone, I'm going to get a hold of my health, I'm going to get a hold of my diet and my fitness, I believe where I'm going, I have a goal in life. I, w- I want to be the kind of parent that has energy for my children. I want to, you know, grow older in life without having injuries. I want to be. And so if that's your drive compared to, well, I, can you see the difference in driver, right? One is led kind of by this guilt sense, and I better, I better, I better, and I feel horrible. And one is like you're focused on the future, right? One's focused on your faults. The other's focused on your future. Um, again, I'm no pro at this, but I can speak for my own journey. Until every lesson I learned when I was a kid. I'll never forget this. I must have been older than 10, maybe 11, and I was, I was walking through a shopping center with my dad and uh, some attractive females walked by and dad obviously caught me. I was in the grip of puberty, you know, that horrible disease. And, <laughs> and dad obviously saw me, you know, doing a little sideways glance. And so dad, dad sees it and dad goes to me, what do you think of those hotties? And I was like, do you know? And it like broke down all my walls. And dad's like, I'm a guy. And all of a sudden, right, where that that was like the the first talk, you know, the talk? Began the talk. But the opening wasn't, what are you doing looking at women? Dirty, right? It was, ah, welcome to the club, you know? (laughs) Right, right? But do you see the difference? And so all of a sudden, my walls came down. I didn't feel shame. I didn't feel guilty, I was like, oh, you get it, okay, well, let's talk, you know? And that became the doorway to making good life decisions. Every time I felt like, oops, you know, whoops, I looked, you know, hey, Dad, guess what? Oh, yeah, I bet you. yeah, I know, I know, okay. Compared to, oh, when Dad saw me last time, I got roasted, I'm never telling him again. And so as a side note, I'm no pro at this, but this is my encouragement to parents, right? You catch a kid. If you catch them, you know, I want you to think of the difference between the word catch. Sometimes it's like I caught you like I caught you in your sin compared to caught ya. So when you catch them, have that image. So if you walk in and your kid and they're on, you know, the phone, the laptop and they're looking at pornography, instead of blowing up at them going, That is filthy, blah blah blah. Let them know. Love ya, son, daughter. Let's talk about this. You're a human. God has made you, in a way, to be attracted to that, but there's a pathway for it, and I'm going to walk you with it to find great solutions for that pathway, right? Do you see the difference? One is led by this guilt, shame. It's not helpful. (laughs) But we're going to explore the other pathway, which I believe, and this is good news for all of us, is the way that Jesus shows us. And so if you're someone who's new to the faith, exploring Christianity, hopefully this is going to be really good news for you as you get introduced to the Christian message. So, as I mentioned, you know, guilt has a goal, has a pathway to end in restoration. So the question is, how then does God lead us there? If This is more than a psychological thing or just a self-help thing. If this is somehow God has an interest in what we do with our guilt, how does God lead us towards a pathway that our guilt is supposed to be led? And I'm going to come back to this one particular verse all through this series. I kind of want it as a, like a theme passage from the New Testament for us to remember. And not just this series, I want us to remember this for our entire life. In fact, I am so convinced by this. I think this one verse should shape so much of our church community, the way we love people, the way we reach people, the way we help people through their sin or their mistakes or their problems. I want this to become more than just a verse in the New Testament. I want it to be something that as a New Testament church, we live out, that we embrace, that we embody, that we fight for, and that we... Defend. So, to give you the context here, the Apostle Paul, and if you're not familiar with who he is, generally speaking, he wrote the majority of our New Testament letters, and so he helped plant a whole lot of churches in the first few decades after the resurrection of Jesus. And writing to the church in Rome. Now, as you can imagine, in the first century AD in Europe, Rome being the epicenter of culture, of the world. uh, Rome was filled with all the, you know, a a pantheon of religions and so many beliefs that obviously kind of reinterpreted ancient Greek uh, mythology to make their kind of their Roman religion. And so they had all these, you know, a myriad of ways of dealing with guilt and dealing with mistakes and kind of appeasing the gods and, you know, the gods' wrath and gods' angry and, you know, you better sacrifice And all these things. So in that culture and in that environment, Jesus was resurrected. And the church spread and the message of Jesus spread. And so the Apostle Paul, writing to Christians in Rome, who were surrounded by this culture with all the different gods, he writes about how God intends to lead us to restoration. Or the word he uses is repentance. And this is a word that can often be again misconstrued, but essentially the word repentance, it's a Christian term, which means turnaround. Does't mean grovelling and crying. that can be part of it, but doesn't mean that. It literally means to turn around, to go the other direction. And so writing about this, this is in Romans chapter two, verse four. This is a sentence I want us to remember. And before I fill in the blank, he writes, "God's something we'll get there in a second is intended to lead you to repentance. So the question, what does God use to lead you and I to turn around, to you know, ch- be restored, to change our behaviors? We can fill this blank with heat, right? And what, do you, what have you grown up with? What did someone taught that, that you should put in that blank space? Maybe for you it's God's anger is intended to lead you to repentance. You know, if I don't do this, God's anger with me. And, or is it God's wrath? Maybe for you it's God's holiness. You know, He's perfect. God is almighty. And God's holiness is intended. We can fill this with a whole lot of things. Perhaps the way you've answered this has what's caused you to kind of have a limited expression of, Christianity or intimacy with God, but here's what it says. It says, God's kindness. I love that. The way that God intended to lead you and I towards life change, towards repentance, to when we have that feeling of guilt, that something is wrong, you know, how does God leverage it? He doesn't come in with a stick. He doesn't come in with punishment. He doesn't come in with anger. He leverages his kindness towards us. That the first thing God will use and show and pour out on your life when you feel that sense of guilt, and remember, guilt has a pathway. It's repentance. It's restoration. How does God kind of leverage the guilt inside of you? It's his kindness. God leads with his love towards you, his grace towards you. Aren't you grateful for that? And we're going to see in just a moment someone who encountered this experience through Meeting Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is the expression of God, we get to see ultimately how God uses his kindness to lead you and I towards repentance. So, this story is recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a doctor, he went about giving a factual account from eyewitness testimonies of the life of Jesus, everything Jesus taught and preached. And so we pick up this one story here, and it's amazing that this was actually recorded. This is in Luke chapter 19, and it's a story of Jesus coming across a man named Zacchaeus. So here we go. So Jesus entered Jericho, which is a city in ancient Israel, and was, he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector. Now before we swing to the next, next slide, church folk, I know you've heard this a million times, so for those who need a quick history lesson, I know tax collectors might not have even the best reputation these days. Not because of the few thousand people, just because of the profession. But needless to say, in Jesus' day, the person themselves were highly uh, well, they were hated. They were ultimately seen as traitors because uh, they collected tax for Rome, and Rome obviously was the, the occupying force in Israel. And so, a tax collector wouldn't get paid a wage. So, essentially, they had to find ways of cheating people to get taxes to Rome, and they could keep whatever was left over. And the fact that it says he was wealthy I means this guy knew how to cheat, which arguably meant he would have been hated by the locals. He was seen as turning his back on their people. Um, so, generally speaking, Zacchaeus, he would have been, the fact that he was wealthy, would have been completely ostracized by his people. So, this is where we find Zacchaeus now as a wealthy, rich, successful, hated tax collector. And it goes on. It says, he wanted, he wanted to see who Jesus was. Now, why is that? A few chapters earlier, in chapter 7, um, Luke records how Jesus' reputation, as it was spreading, he, his reputation was spreading because he was known, going to catch this line, as being a friend of tax collector's. That's literally how his reputation was spreading. You would think surely his reputation was spreading as a miracle worker, as a great preacher, as a great teacher, as a rabbi, even as a carpenter, whatever it was. He, the reputation that was spreading is that he befriended those who everyone else hated. So as you can imagine, he wasn't looking to please people. If he wanted to be everyone's favorite rabbi, everyone's local rabbi, he would have just gone with the popular opinion, hate, you know, hate tax collectors. But his reputation grew because he befriended those It would seem that religion would cause you to hate and reject. Yet Jesus' reputation spread because he befriended them. So as you can imagine, that was his reputation. So no wonder Zacchaeus wanted. He wasn't guilted into it. He wanted. It was a desire. He wanted to see Jesus. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to see Jesus since Jesus was coming that way. Now I wanna just point out one simple thought from these opening couple of verses here. Zacchaeus sought out Jesus. He chased him down, he was determined enough to run ahead of the crowd, and then he climbed, he climbed a tree. And as much as sure he was short, but keep in mind, there was a, a drive and intention behind him, not to run from a rabbi, but to run to a rabbi. Where in that day and age, if a rabbi came to town, People like a tax collector would avoid them because like, they're going to guilt me, they're going to make me feel bad, and they're going to use all their scriptures from the Torah and the law of to why I, I'm an evil sinner. Yet this guy put all of his direction towards Jesus. Arguably, he pointed his guilt towards Jesus, not away from Jesus. And here's an incredible point for us. You and I have to learn, this is such an important step to understand. We have to allow our guilt to bring us, like Zacchaeus, to face towards Jesus, not away from. And where we often mishandle when we feel guilty for a wrongdoing, and we don't, we don't even know why we feel guilty, just we have this feeling of guilt, there can often be this tendency to, last person I'm talking about this is God. I ain't going to talk to God, I ain't going to pray to God, I ain't going to sing, You know, whatever. But we see Zacchaeus here, guilty as he was, he chased Jesus down. And my point is this, that the object of our repentance must be what we turn towards not what we're turning from. This is true, a true picture of repentance. We can often think repentance is this idea that here is you know, what is causing my guilt, it's the cause of my internal pain right now. So repentance is I need to turn my back on that. I need to keep turning my back on that. No, 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 repentance is not what you're turning your back on. Repentance is about what you're turning towards, what you are facing. Again, because if it's just about what you're turning your back on, that's being driven by guilt. But we don't see this here. We see an incredible picture from Zacchaeus that we all got to learn from. What do we do with that guilt? How do we point it in the right direction so we lead to repentance, so we lead to restoration? In the same way that if you have a physical injury, you go to a medical professional. If you have a feeling of guilt, you take it to Jesus. The object of our repentance is what we turn towards, not what we're turning from. Guilt will either lead you towards your fault or towards your future. Thank you. Okay, you get it. I'll I'll keep trying. But here's my point, understanding, this is super important, understanding this pathway is what will cause us to live guilt-free. And if you feel bound by guilt and suffocated by guilt, and you've been, it's been guilt that's been your fuel to be a better wife or a better husband or a better parent or a better whatever, insert, right? Um, this here is the secret to being set free from guilt to having its shackles broken off you, its claws ripped out of you. Wow, it was real graphic. But you get the idea. You need to understand this pathway. Where are you facing? Who are you pointing your direction towards? And we see from Zacchaeus here, this is incredible. We get the chance to point, and this is the Christian message, right, to point our attention, to aim our guilt towards Jesus. He is the object of our repentance. So the story goes on as we continue to read. Next verse. So, so when Jesus reached the spot, keep in mind, Zacchaeus ran ahead of the crowd. He's in the tree. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said, so he opens the conversation. Zacchaeus didn't. And his opening, this is his opening line. Zacchaeus, he calls him by name. How did he know his name? We don't know. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. I find this, this moment here absolutely amazing where Jesus takes the initiative and he invites himself into Zacchaeus's home, the tax collector, the local hated man. What you have to understand is most religions today, in fact, for all time, have, they have like incredibly elaborate um, techniques to do you know penance and to demonstrate remorse if you feel guilty, right? So either embark on a pilgrimage Crawl on your knees for a certain amount of days, sacrifice an animal, and hopefully you can walk away feeling a little bit better, a bit of self-satisfaction, because somehow you and I did something that balances out our sin, our wrongdoing, and you paid for it. But Christianity, at its core, has this unnatural and unusual concept. It's called grace, grace. And it goes against rationale, it goes against logic. It means that you and I ultimately could do nothing to counterbalance our sin or to counterbalance our guilt. The message of grace means that God, hear this, has already paid the penalty and we merely need to accept it by trusting Jesus for the remedy. It doesn't make sense you can't science it up out of anywhere. You can't mathematize it into existence. It is a gift from God. Grace is God's free gift. And repentance is the way that you and I can access it. God won't even guilt you into accepting his grace, you've got to receive it freely. It's kind of like being hugged. Anyone here hate people hugging you out of nowhere? I know we're not allowed to really do that these days, you know. But grace is kind of like a hug. You know, God's got His arms out. He's like, hey, Stephen, come up here for a moment. just want to give you a big hug. See, no, I'm joking. Wow, you're really willing. I thought you were going to be a name. It's like God's going, how about a hug? It's like, oh, I don't know. It's a bit, I don't know. It's got so God's offering this free gift of grace. But He's not going to like throw it on you. Repentance, turning towards Christ is the way that you and I access this free gift. And it's ultimately what we see when Jesus turned towards Zacchaeus. What was his opening line? Do you remember the opening statement he said, or rather the opening word when he saw Zacchaeus in the tree? He called him Zacchaeus, his name, which as fate would have it, if I can use that term here, his name, Zacchaeus, is literally interpreted innocence. And so we don't know how Jesus knew his name. Well, clearly we do if you take you know, the, the, to the logical conclusion that he was God. He sees this man who was dripping in guilt. The community knew it. He knew it. The Romans knew it. And here comes this rabbi who had a reputation of befriending tax collectors. Here he's going, man, man, what if Jesus sees me? What if Jesus, what's he going to say to me? And Jesus' opening word over a guilty man was innocence. Innocence. Where people have referred, we read in the next passage, we'll get to it in a second, where people refer to him not by his name, but by his guilt. Refer to him, hey, look at this tax collector, This sinner. Where Jesus didn't refer to him about where he was wrong, Jesus looked through him through a different lens, which caused him to see what was right about him. And Jesus proclaimed him innocent. Now, the reason this is important for us to grab for this whole series is Jesus didn't lead with the pronouncement of guilt. He led with the pronouncement of innocence. Here's the thing. And those of you who aren't Christians here, you'd understand this. We don't even need any religious person, we don't need a religious teacher, we don't need Jesus to tell us that we're guilty. Our conscience does a great job of that on its own. Our society is dripping in guilt. What people don't know is that there's a way to live innocent from a guilty conscience. And ultimately, this is the Christian message. The Christian message is that through Jesus, you're innocent. This is how Jesus led. He didn't lead through fire, brimstone, a pronouncement of people's guilt. He led with a pronouncement over this man, Zacchaeus, you're innocent. And I'm sure you've seen situations like this. I um, I, I feel this weird, awkward, sometimes a little bit, anger is a strong word, but I'll go with it, when I'll see someone public on a street corner in the name of Jesus, telling people how wrong they are, how sinful they are, how guilty they are. Now, I'm not saying they're not. We all know we are. Jesus came to a world that knew they were all guilty. They were tired of it, trying to keep rules and laws like we're worn out from knowing that. Jesus came with a brand new radical message saying, through me, through me, not through your efforts, not through your works, not through your behaviour, through me, you can be innocent. We must always remember as a church, our message isn't that the world is guilty. Our message is that through Jesus, they're innocent. And instead of joining with the chorus of the rest of the world and making people feel bad because they don't live up to everyone else's expectations or even our own expectations, We have an incredible message for the world. And I want us to embody this forever as a church. It says, through Jesus, you're innocent. And notice how this story finishes. He goes to his house and all the people saw this. They began to mutter, he's gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said, Lord, look, here, now I give half of my possessions to the poor. This is what's happening in his home, right? Jesus calls him innocent. Before he'd done anything, he just, accepted Jesus into his life, and as he walks into the house, even though people are like, he's a sinner. He's like, look, I now give half of my possessions to the poor. And I have, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And what's amazing is, according to Jewish law, if you're being caught embezzling or ripping people off, the law required that you would pay back four times the amount. So here he knew the law. He knew he was guilty. What he didn't know is there's a way to be innocent. And notice what happened first. He didn't do the action and then became innocent. Jesus pronounced innocent on him. It was a gift. It's grace. This is why for some of you this sounds offensive, because like, no, surely you've got to do something. That's what makes the Christian message so radical. It's why we sing. It's why we're s- supposedly the most joyful people on the planet. Because no matter how wrong we get this, there is this message of grace and forgiveness and innocence that no matter how bad we are or how good we are, Jesus pronounces over us, you are innocent. So instead of being led around by your guilt, I'm never good enough, I don't measure up, I don't pray enough, I don't do this enough. You're already innocent in the eyes of your loving Saviour, Jesus Christ. And notice when you realise this, what flows is what we see in His life. The life change flows from innocence. I think it's amazing. The worst thing you can do with guilt is no thing. To just do nothing with it. To sit in your guilt, to boil away at it, to let it fester inside of you. And if you don't ever allow your guilt to lead you, in this case, towards Christ's, God, "Ah, I've got to point my God. It's you I'm looking towards now. It sits inside. It will cause us to grow bitter towards God, even ourselves, to others, cause us to lash out. You've been there before, probably many times. You' may be blown up at a child or a spouse, and like, where did that come from? And you've been struggling with something they didn't know, but you allowing maybe guilt to fester. We can grow resentful because of it. and what then happens is it leads to something that we all know far too well, the guilt cycle. It's where you feel, I'm just feeling so guilty. And so instead of pointing at guilt towards a direction that's gonna help us, we're like, what am I gonna do with that? Okay, okay, I've got to cu- I've got to change. I've got to drug it, right? Same with physical pain. Instead of addressing the issue of the pain, it's like, I'll just cover the pain. And so we'll find something that gives us a kick or makes us feel better or releases some endorphins. We'll, we'll drink watch entertainment. We'll watch pornography. We'll eat food. We'll do whatever we can to just kind of get rid of this feeling. I just, I don't know what to do with it. So I'm just going to cover the feeling. And yet that then perpetuates the continual feeling of more guilt for doing that to cover your guilt. And the cycle continues all over again. And the good news is for you and for me and for the whole world is that Jesus breaks the cycle of guilt. He smashes it. And so here's this man now going, I give, I'm repenting, I'm putting, giving, I'm paying back everything. My life is changing. And here's how Jesus concludes, he turns and says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too, yeah, he's guilty. Yeah, he's probably the worst. He's a tax collector, I know it. But this man too is the son of Abraham, meaning he was saying to a group full of Jews, he's too a Jew, meaning he has access to the promises of God as well. For the son of man came to seek and save lost. Jesus' message wasn't, I'm here to condemn you because you're guilty. His message was, I'm here to save you because you're lost. The crowd and Zacchaeus saw Jesus only through the eyes of his guilt, but Jesus saw him through the eyes of his grace. And in the same way, your worth in the eyes of God will always be greater than the guilt your worth in the eyes of God will always be greater than the guilt in your own. And over these next few weeks, I'm going to do the best I can. A couple of weeks, we've got Dan Patterson coming to share, who is one of the greatest communicators of the message of Jesus that our generation has ever had. And you're going to absolutely love Him. We need the best we can over the next few weeks to, to dig into this, to make it more than just a series or a sermon, that something will change inside of our lives. Something will change about how we relate to God how we relate to our children and our spouses and our neighbours to the world and we'd refuse to be bound by guilt and we could live guilt free. So today, Holy Spirit, I'm praying that this message would settle in all of our hearts and lives. For those that have never heard this before, I'm praying that this would make sense, that this would, all of a sudden, it's like the covers would come off. I'm praying for those that feel like they've been drowning in their guilt. Today, it would set them free, that maybe for the first time, or maybe in first time in a long time, they would see again your kindness, your goodness. They'd be overwhelmed with your grace and it would lead them out of maybe destructive behaviors or destructive lifestyles to experience the life change that is promised in following Jesus. I pray that of every heart and every life, those watching online, those in the building, in the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are truly blessed by what you heard. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au